I was on my mountain in Malaysia. And as I was walking, I heard the dogs. Now, I told you that we have dogs in the mountain last night. But if you didn't hear it, you might not know. But what I didn't mention is we have lots of monkeys on the mountain. Why, at the mountain where I was, there were four types of monkeys. And the dusky leaf langurs were the most common type. They have white eyebrows and a white mustache with an otherwise dark face and a kind of a pinkish lips. They're just interesting monkeys to see. Well, there was a dusky leaf langur in a banana tree surrounded by our four local dogs. Oh, the dogs were excited because there's no way out for the monkey. Monkeys can climb trees, but monkeys can't climb thin air. And there was no big tree around that banana tree. Nowhere to go. And banana trees aren't very small, aren't very tall. I mean, they are small. And uh, so the monkey, all it could do is jump over the dogs. But who's going to be faster on the ground, monkey or a dog? Dogs are much faster on the ground. So that monkey was in trouble. And that's why the dogs were so happy. I mean, it was exciting to them. And they were wagging their tail and barking and just, just carrying on. And as I got closer, I observed something a little sad to me. That mother monkey on the banana tree had a baby clinging to her breast. She had a little baby. And I didn't think the dogs would probably show any mercy on account of that baby. And, uh, and while I was watching that scene, I saw the most amazing thing. That mother took the baby off of her, put the baby on the banana tree, and then she crouched, and she jumped over one of the dogs to the ground and led all the dogs away on a chase. And that little baby on top of that banana tree climbed down the banana tree safely over to a jungle tree and climbed up. lot about what I saw there. I thought, what if the baby had not climbed down? What if the baby had just stood still? Do you think those dogs would have come back? Sure, they would have. And then there would have been no way to escape for that baby. That would have been too late. And I've thought about Jesus, that Jesus like that mother monkey, he's already jumped over the dogs. He's already led them away on the chase. And you know where we are? We're on the top of that tree. And we're just sitting there. And what I want you to be thinking about, boys and girls and parents of boys and girls and future parents of boys and girls, I want you to be thinking about the fact that let's not waste any more time. Let's just get down and get over to the jungle because it's possible to waste what Jesus has done. Why Paul in the book of Galatians in chapter three, at chapter three, verse four, he said that uh, I'm afraid of you, that I've, I've done labor in vain. And also in chapter four, verse 11, in both of those passages, he indicated that the sacrifice Jesus has made for us is not necessarily going to be useful. We determine whether it's useful or not. 
I mean, that mother's sacrifice that she made for her baby, it was a tremendous sacrifice, but it would be worth nothing practically if the baby had stayed in the top of the tree. So boys and girls, maybe you know the thing that you need to do to be right with God. Maybe you, you know the things you need to do, and I'd say today's a good day to start doing them. And now the story for the adults, <clears throat> for the parents. But I don't mind, children, if you listen to the parent story because they listen to your story. So long ago in Iran, there was a mother who developed cancer. And her cancer was getting quite bad, and she was afraid she was going to die. And she didn't find any hope, any help from the religionist around her. And she decided to just go experimenting and see if maybe outside of Islam might be a, a, better, a better something. So the first thing she tried was a Christian church. And she took her little five-year-old boy with her to that church. And when she got to the door, they wouldn't let her in. They wouldn't let her in the church. You know, there are some Christians in Iran, and those Christians have had peace there for a thousand years because, well, they, they have submitted to some things. And one of those things is you do not evangelize the locals. And so they were afraid, and so they didn't let her in. So then she went over to some Zoroastrians and uh, looked into that. That's kind of like the worship of fire and spirits. And she started leaning that way, but she died. Didn't get any help, any help anywhere. And that little five-year-old boy grew up. And when he was old enough, he came to Malaysia to study. His name is Shervin. Shervin came to study. And while he was there in Malaysia, he got the idea that maybe he should try what his mother tried. Maybe Christians in Malaysia might be different. And so he asked a Christian girl in his university if he could attend her church. And you know, she was scared. And so to, to save her church, she took him to a different denomination's church. She didn't tell him that it wasn't her own church. But the church that she took him to was a Pentecostal church. And what he saw there did not impress him at all. It, it looked to him a lot like the religion he grew up with, kind of a sentimental nothingness is kind of how he viewed it and so he lost his interest and uh well it was more than a year later when a lack of peace and fulfillment in his life led him to decide to try again and he asked another christian girl if she would take him to church and i want to thank god that that second girl he asked was a seventh-day adventist and she took him to the seventh-day adventist church and Shervin began to study and to learn, and he loved the things that he learned there. And he was baptized and became a Seventh-day Adventist. I met him the first month I went to Malaysia. He came to study in our missionary school there. It was his sale of a great controversy to a Muslim lady that got, us, got his whole group of fellow students and him put in jail. And in uh, Shervin, when he was put in jail, that was very dangerous for him because well, if he was deported from Malaysia as an apostate, he would certainly be killed in Iran, which could happen. And uh, so he wisely disappeared after they let him out of jail after one day, and I didn't see him for a while. But now I know where he is. 
and now he's working for me. And if you watch that video that was put up recently on the Advent Hope page, that uh, that doodle video about the prophecies of Daniel, Shervin is the one who put that together. He's designed eight of those so far. He's working on 46 of them. And uh, already it's been meaningful and helpful to quite a number of people. It, he began doing that work when he was home. A very courageous person, I tell you. A very courageous person. So I hope that you're going to be more like that girl that invited him to church. More like that one that gave him a chance. And don't be hesitant to invite people. Don't be hesitant to to be very religious. My experience is that almost everyone in the world is more religious than Christians. I mean, almost everyone is highly religious. And it, it, it makes you look quite secular when you're nervous to keep, you're nervous and keep your religion to yourself. You know, it doesn't make any sense to that good friend of yours why you would wait till you've known him for 10 years before you tell him about how to get to heaven. It, it seems to him like either you don't really believe in heaven or you took a really terrible risk to wait that long. I had a man in Malaysia that, that uh, came over to visit my wife and I, and I had a good time studying with him some, and he wasn't quite ready to dive into actual weekly studies, but he liked the Bible. He believed that as a Muslim, he should read the Bible and the Quran. And, and anyway, it, it was a good contact, a warm one, but I couldn't, I couldn't push it into where I wanted it to go. So, so I contacted him a few months later, six months later, just to try again. I found good success with giving people a second, third, fourth, fifth try. Many people that aren't interested today are interested six months from now or are interested a year from now. And, and conversely, it's also true that many people who are interested today aren't interested six months from now. So that being around is important in this business of soul winning. And uh, anyway, I tried. I sent him a note and I saw with some delight on, on WhatsApp, he was writing me back, you know, how social media spies on people. You can see they're typing. And I... Uh, and then when the message came, my delight disappeared. It wasn't him. It was his daughter. She said, I guess you didn't hear. My dad died. He had a heart attack in January. And when I heard that, I was just, I just, was just thinking, this is the tragedy of friendship evangelism. I mean, sure, we can't push them too fast. But I think we most certainly could go a lot faster than we do. And when we take 5, 10, 15 years before we really give a gospel opportunity to people, don't you see that we're putting them in terrible danger by the, by the time we waste? So that's my story for the parents. And now for that history I told you was coming. When... Millerites had just had their great disappointment. Well, just before that great disappointment, if we go back to before it, there were a couple of things that happened you ought to know about. One was in 1840, and that was that a man named Josiah Litch, as far as I can tell, he was the first one to do this. He made a prediction 
based on the day-for-year principle that could be tested against history. He said, on August 11, I expect the Ottoman Empire to lose its sovereignty. And it happened on August 11 that the empire ended up giving up its, its sovereignty to the European powers in a very similar way to how Rome gave up its sovereignty to the Ottoman Empire uh, many years before. So that was Josiah Litch, who used the day for your principle, based on the trumpets, made a prediction, and it happened, which gave great power to the Millerite preaching. Then, in the spring of 1844, there was a man named Samuel Snow. His middle initial was also S, so his initials were SSS. And Samuel Snow came to a meeting where Joseph Bates was speaking, and he interrupted Joseph Bates and said, I have light. I have something to share. And Joseph Bates knew him and was aching for some light. They'd had a spring disappointment that year. And so Samuel Snow took the podium, and he shared from the parable of the ten virgins about how a cry went out at midnight, Behold, the bridegroom comes. Snow said, if a day is a year, then a night is six months. Then midnight would be after three months. And our nighttime started in our spring disappointment. It's been three months since that time. And then he said, behold, the bridegroom comes, go ye out to meet him. And he explained that that parable was predicting that Jesus would come back in the fall of 1844 on the Day of Atonement, and he showed that principle from the, from the sanctuary service. And that movement that he started, we call that the midnight cry, was loud and powerful. That was Samuel Snow. Then, just a short time after the Great Disappointment, Ellen Harmon had her first vision and, you know, even in 1844, when people have visions, not everyone jumps on the gun to congratulate them. There is a just and large amount of skepticism regarding visions. If you meet someone who says they've had visions, I hope you won't just be so excited to hear what they have to say. I hope that you will have a fair bit of skepticism yourself, maybe even a large bit. Some people say that God is using visions to convert the Muslim population. I say, beware of that idea. He uses them the same way he did in the story of Saul of Tarsus. He uses them to send them to courageous Christians, as God sent Saul to go meet the courageous Christian, Ananias, who ended up helping him know the way of the Lord. God doesn't use visions as a substitute for Bible study or as a substitute for evangelism. And so I hope that you'll be ready to be on duty. But anyway, Enoch Jacobs was the first one that had the courage to publish Ellen Harmon's visions. Let me review this, what I've said to you so far. So you had Enoch Jacobs publishing the Spirit of Prophecy. You had Samuel Snow giving the Midnight Cry, and Josiah Litch making that earlier prediction on the Day for Your Principle. Uh, George Storrs also, during that same time, before the disappointment, he's the one who taught the Millerites about what happens when you die. George Storrs' six sermons on death convinced Ellen Harmon's mother 
And it was even, it was later, after Ellen Harmon's mother, that Ellen ended up accepting that truth that when you die, that you're unconscious, that you're resting in the grave. Then there was a man named T.M. Preble, and this is about 1846. He learned about the Sabbath, and he's the one who taught uh, Joseph Bates. T.M. Preble is the one who taught Joseph Bates about the Sabbath. And Joseph Bates, of course, is the one who taught James Nellon White. And uh, so that's the way the Sabbath came to us, was through T.M. Preble. And then in 1844, in the very same week after the disappointment, we had a man named O.R.L. Crozier. O.R.L. Crozier is the first one who ever wrote out what we call the sanctuary message, the idea that Jesus would go into the most holy place on October 22, 1844, and had done it. Oral Crozier wrote that series of articles and published them in the Day Star. Ellen White had a vision and recommended that uh, people read that article called The Law of Moses. I've read it. I'd say it's a good one even today. It would help with so many misunderstandings people have. So, you know, those seven individuals that I've mentioned to you, let me just count, make sure I got seven. Yeah, I did. Those seven are the ones that God used to bring to our church, if you will, our most fundamental, distinctive teachings, the spirit of prophecy, the Sabbath, the sanctuary, the state of the dead, the day for your principle, which isn't so distinct to us, but the way we use it, it's so fundamental to our message, and the midnight cry. I, I need to tell you a few things more, though. T.M. Preble, that one that taught us about the Sabbath, he died as a Sunday keeper. And Josiah Litch, who made that prediction about the Ottoman Empire, he repudiated the day for your principle. And O.R.L. Crozier, the one who wrote that sanctuary article, repudiated that sanctuary article and asked the church for decades to no longer republish it. We didn't acknowledge that request. We've been publishing it ever since. Then George Storrs became a false prophet and ended up helping to establish what later became the Jehovah's Witnesses. And Samuel Snow became a spiritualist. And Enoch Jacobs, a shaker. Or I might have those two backwards because I haven't looked at this in 15 years. But all six of those, seven of those men, ended up significantly abandoning the Millerite Adventist movement. And that ought to make us think. Does it make you think? There are two ideas that you might want to investigate that are kind of natural developments from these facts. One of them is that maybe the Millerite movement is a, a great fallacy, a, a falsehood, and the sooner that you escape it, the more wholesome your life will be. There are entire ministries dedicated to that, uh, that view of things. 
The other possibility I'd like you to consider is that maybe God routinely uses weak people to give his message. Have you read that in 1 Corinthians 1, where it says, You see your calling, brethren, how that not many mighty, not many noble are called. You have Bibles there, don't you? Let's look at that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to look at verse 26. It says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. What an interesting passage. It indicates that your favorite preachers might not be one whit stronger than you, not one whit more noble than you are. And if you would follow this through to its logical conclusion, I don't have time to do this with you, so I'm just going to tell you where you'd end up. You would find that this is the reason that God commissions us to do gospel work. It's because we need it. It's because the truth affects us when we think about it. It's because when it has our attention that it changes us. And so God takes people like me. I'm exceedingly weak. And he takes me and he gives me a job to share with you. And in the process of sharing, I become aware of the truth. I think about it. It gets my attention. And it has a chance to soften me, to subdue me, to lead me to repentance. So if God uses you mightily there in Loma Linda, or I know some of you are logging in from far away. I I saw notes about that when I watched this video from last night. When God uses you mightily, please don't conclude on the basis of that might that you're noble. Don't conclude on the basis of what God does with you that you are wise or that you're strong, but rather conclude that it must be that You need the truth that God is sharing through you and give it a chance to do something for you. Now, someone could kind of go into despair. They might think like this. I already have a hard time just to be a Christian. And if even those great mighty men lost their way, what hope is there for me? So let me go back over that history a bit and just soften that blow, dull that sword a bit. I told you about T.M. Preble, the one who gave up the Sabbath. But you know, he's not like the one who sanctified the Sabbath. There was a long chain, and it was the Seventh-day Baptist that taught uh, Rachel Oaks, who taught Elder Farnsworth, who taught Brother Preble, who taught Joseph Bates, who taught James and Ellen White. And while the Seventh-day Baptist didn't give it up, neither did Rachel Oaks. Neither did Elder Farnsworth, neither did Joseph Bates, neither did James and Ellen. So I picked the weak link. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? I picked the the weak link in the chain. But it's not like everyone that God used ended up going the wrong way. And when I say Enoch Jacobs, 
became a spiritualist. He's not Ellen White. Sure, he's the first one that published her writings, but he's he's not the first one that believed in them, and he's not the only one that believed in them, and and uh, he certainly isn't the prophet, and the prophet herself was faithful. And when I mention O.R.L. Crozier, it's true he abandoned the sanctuary in Adventism, but you know, God gave the message to uh, well, F.B. Hahn and Hiram Edson. Uh, his name slipped me for a minute. God gave that, that vision to Hiram Edson in the cornfield, that message. And it was Hiram Edson and F.B. Hahn and Oral Crozier that studied the topic together. And they picked Crozier to write the article because he was a gifted writer. But F.B. Hahn and, and Hiram Edson stayed faithful to that message. So again, I, I shared the weak link. What I'm trying to tell you is, no, it's not every faithful person that goes astray. But yes, it is a significant number of them. And the Bible says about the same. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's, you're already in chapter 1, so this is just a few pages forward for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to look at verse 11. It says, now all these things happen to them as examples. I think maybe in samples in the King James, like types. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age have come. Therefore, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Oh, what's it talking about? It's talking about those stories about Moses with the people who grumbled and complained and were bitten by snakes and had other troubles there in the wilderness, the ones that were angry and and unbelieving, that, you know, over and over again, they had a hard time there. That was written to tell us that we're not any better than them, to let them know that in the end of time, we are like them. Not different, but the same. I'm different, not the, I mean, I'm the same, not different. Phew, I'm glad I, got, I was able to correct that one. But yeah, we are the same. And that's why if you think that you're standing tall, if I think I'm standing tall, I need to pay close attention. Why close attention? Because it's possible that you can be standing today and not standing tomorrow. Look at verse 13. It's the encouraging verse. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but with the temptation will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You see, verse 12 says you might not be faithful, but God will be. Verse 12 says, be careful, watch yourself. Verse 13 says, because God will make a way of escape. If you don't escape, it's not because he didn't make a way. If you don't escape, it's not because there was no way. If you don't escape, it's because you weren't paying attention or you didn't choose to run when you had a chance. You have your Bible still. Turn back to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, and we're going to look at verse 20. Well, probably we need to start with verse 19. This is the metaphor of Israel 
as a tree and where the branches that are the unbelieving Jews are cut off. That's the metaphor here. And I will just read. You will say then the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. You know the idea that God rejected the Jews so the Gentiles have a chance. That's what Paul's saying here in verse 19. Verse 20, well, because of unbelief, they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. What a thought, huh? Look at verse 22. Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but towards you goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also shall be cut off. Well, let's not end there because the encouraging verse is verse 23. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Well, what do these verses say? They say that the standing we have with God our faithfulness today is a reason for us to rejoice, but not a reason to be proud. It's a reason to pay attention and to watch. It's a reason to think things through. Because it is possible in this great shaking time that those who are faithful today will not be faithful tomorrow. You've been around a while. All my hair is turning white now. Even my beard is doing that. And uh, I like it. I like having a hoary head. But it does remind me that I've been here longer than it feels like I have. And you know, when I end up contacting an old friend, someone from 20 years ago now, quite often I find that they're no longer faithful. And every time I contact an old friend like that and find that they are faithful, it just makes me happy. I'm just pleased. I'm pleased to see that someone has held on that when the way of escape was put before them, they took it. So about a week and a half ago, I was with my mother, my poor mother. Uh, her husband died uh, on July 30. So that's about two weeks ago and changed, two weeks and two days. Her husband died. So I flew there to be with her through the process. And I've even brought her with me here to Virginia. But my poor mother, while I was there with her, she took a lot of naps. She's 82, basically. And when you're 82, you, you have earned yourself a, you've earned yourself a lot of naps. And uh, so while she was resting, I, uh, I was on Facebook, and I saw an advertisement saying, come to Christ. And it said, would you like someone to pray with you? And I thought, I would, you know, here I am, and I'd like to have someone come pray with me. I have things I'm thinking about, and I like to meet new people anyway. And so I I clicked on the ad. I don't know if I've ever clicked on a Facebook ad before, but I clicked on that one. And uh, as I was giving my information so they could contact me, uh, when I got far enough into it, I realized these are Mormons. I didn't know that initially, but I figured it out before I was done. But anyway, I like to pray with Mormons, too. So I just finished the business. And, you know, as soon as I was done, you know, I hit the little click, done, go, finish button. It was less than a minute when the phone was ringing. 
with the very number I put in that form. And it was the Mormons asking if they could make an appointment. Don't you admire that? How on the ball they were? I mean, that's just really on the ball. I mean, that's really doing something. And uh, what I'm trying to say is, I hope, since your Sabbath school is about sharing the word, I hope that you'll include this in your ideas of sharing, that we need to be on the ball, that we need to strike when the iron is hot. And frequently, being a week late makes a huge difference in how interested people are. So they came. Uh, It was Brother Taylor and I forgot the name of the other brother. And anyway, they they came to the house and we had a really good Bible study. And uh, they came again last week and we had another really good study. And on Monday, I'm going to have a Zoom meeting with them because I'm not in the same state anymore. And we'll have a third study. Uh, We'll be talking about death. So you can pray for Brother Taylor and for the other. It's going to be an interesting meeting, but they have a good spirit. I really enjoy meeting with them. I want to show you what I showed them in our very first meeting, because I think it's relevant to what we're talking about today. Turn your Bibles to Jeremiah 17. When we had our meeting, the way we organized it is that they can share something and then I'll share something. I won't argue with them and they won't argue with me. And it will take the positive road and we'll just share with each other. And uh, that has worked out well for us. That might work out well for you. Jeremiah 17, I took them to verse 5. It says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. You know that idea, don't you? That if someone depends on their priest or on their imam or on their pastor, Uh, The chance of them following the truth and following Jesus is small. That people have to think for themselves if they're going to be faithful. We have to think for ourselves. And and we discussed this with them. I said, you know, you and I are both missionaries. I'm a missionary for the Adventist Church. You're a missionary for the Mormon Church. And that we both know that when we meet people who don't study for themselves, we don't have much chance to win them. You need to find people who study for themselves, and then maybe they'll become Mormons. I need to find people who study for themselves, and maybe they'll become Adventists. And they could see that. They understood verse verse 5. Then I took them to verse 9. Verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And I said to them, You know, just as we can't trust the pastor or the priest, We also can't trust our feelings. We can't depend on our feelings. We might feel one way when the way to go is a different way. We can't depend on that inner light or that inner push. And and I mentioned to them that you remember the, the road to Emmaus, how as Jesus appeared to those two men, he showed them in the scriptures the things concerning himself, how their hearts burned within in them. I said, but notice this, that as soon as Uh, their hearts burned within them, he disappeared. That Jesus left the authority with the scripture, that they were to believe what he said because it was in the Bible. It wasn't because of their feelings that they should believe, but they had feelings because they were believing what was written. And so I expressed to them that we we need to watch this for ourselves, that we can't depend on our feelings, just like we can't depend on other people. 
And you might wonder why I was going over that with them, but I'll tell you, if you ever study with Mormons, uh, that they have a technique that they use when things are going south. I mean, when things aren't working out for them, they have a technique they use. Uh, What it is, is they ask you to read a passage in one of their scriptures. And a passage written, of course, by Joseph Smith. And as you read that passage, if things go according to their plan, you get a burning right here in your chest cavity. You get a feeling, like maybe that shivering in your back feeling, you know, like a wow. And then they ask you, did you feel something? And if you say yes, they take you to the story of the road to Emmaus, and they show you that's because Jesus is letting you feel that to show you that this is scripture. So they didn't know that I knew that, but I knew that. And so that's why I took them to Jeremiah 17 to establish right from the get-go, I mean from the beginning, that no, we cannot depend on an inner light. It's the scripture that is true, not that burning in our bosom that is true. You can get that burning in your bosom by using marijuana just as you can by by whatever other source you have. So verse 5 said, let's not trust the teachers. Verse 9 said, let's not trust ourselves." Well, does that leave us with no foundation at all? For enjoyment, let's look at verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. So I'm going to be praying for Brother Taylor and for his friend. And the thoughts I've shared with you are several. I'm going to review them and stop. First, parents, I hope you listen to the children's story. Check your life. Are you still sitting in that tree? Is there bitterness or an addiction to pain meds or to pornography? Do you have unresolved explosive anger? Is there some sin in your life and you're just sitting there on top of the tree watching the dogs chase Jesus? If that's you, then please get down today. Don't let it be wasted, the sacrifice that was made for you. And the second thought I shared with you, that was a story for the for the adults, is Let's be sure that we are out in the open with our religion. Let's not close the door to our our church just by our culture of independence and secularism. Let's be more religious. In fact, that's what God asked from men. Men, you know this, right? You know that God asked the ladies in 1 Timothy 2, he asked them to not wear jewelry. You know, he tells them to take off their necklaces and their earrings and, and not to wear that expensive fashion, fashionable clothing. But I'd like you to go back and look at that passage this afternoon, and you're going to see that before he speaks to the ladies, he speaks to the men. And what he says to the men is that they ought to pray everywhere uh, with holy hands. That is, they ought to not keep the religion so private to themselves that they ought to be expressive about their religious views. Our prayer and our praise ought not to be kept so secret. That's how we witness to God, is by sharing praise. I have to think those things through myself. 
I think I also have a secular skin that slides over me when I go to the supermarket or the gas station. And we probably just need to shed that skin and let our heart of appreciation for God glow a bit. And that third thought I shared with you is that God uses weak people. He uses people who are very weak, persons who are not noble, you could say ignoble, persons who are not wise, people that are just like the people that you know. And if it seems like the popular teachers and speakers are more holy than the people you know, it's because the people you know are the people you know, and those speakers are the ones you don't. And it's been my experience that people who end up hosting well-traveled speakers and put them in their house and watch them for a while, many of them become disillusioned with those speakers. So what I'm trying to say is don't be shocked when in the future bright lights flicker. Don't be shocked that in the past some bright lights have flickered. That's not evidence of the devil overcoming a mighty Christian. It's evidence of God looking for a way to save a weak man by entrusting to him mighty truth. And so what remains for us? Are we to despair? No, no, no. We are to claim the promise that there's no temptation given, but such as is common to man. We're to claim the promise that as we watch and take heed, that he is able to keep us from falling. But we have good news, but the good news doesn't match well with that common belief of what I would call carnal security. That is, don't believe that you're just okay to, to coast into heaven. Believe that you need a radical change and that God can do it with you and let him work with you to get you to heaven. Don't believe that you're okay and it's just going to work out, but believe that God is effective and he can work it out. Believe that he's not only the author, but the finisher of your faith. And what about those Mormons? Is there good hope from them? Oh, I think it's easier to reach Muslims and Mormons, to be honest with you. But hey, God might bring the two to you that are reachable. Because if you were listening last night, you know what Acts 17 says, that he determines the boundaries the bounds of where they are and where they travel to make a chance for those in darkness to grope after the light. What I'm saying is, let's trust in the Lord. Let's not trust in those teachers, but we can't depend on them. We don't know their hearts. Let's not depend on ourselves. Our own feelings could be deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. But let's depend on the Lord. He will never fail us. And for that, I'm thankful. And don't forget to watch that video, that Farsi video with English subtitles, to get an interest, uh, to have an, take an interest in what we're doing. All right, so I don't think we probably end with a song here, so I'm going to have a prayer with you, and I'll be done. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I'm asking that you would find a way to reach 10,000 more Shervans that you would bring them to where they can find someone that could share with them some gospel light. And if they don't have enough courage to invite themselves to church, would you please give us courage to help them? Would you please help us, those of us who are teachers and those who have responsibilities, 
to see our weakness properly and then show your mighty power by saving even the weak ones that you've used and find work for everyone in Advent Hope that they can have a chance to work with you and to experience what gospel life is like. I ask for these gifts and we ask for your latter rain power that you'd fill us with boldness as you did in Acts 4. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.